Do you have anything on this one, Sean? No, I hate the NFC South. stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl this week we're watching as it's starting to tighten up in the playoff race and by that i mean just lots of shitty teams are now in with a shot so hey we got connor here we've got ronan hello and we got sean hello how are we lads how's all down in cork yeah not too bad it's freezing cold but yeah the world cup is keeping me entertained yeah england went out on saturday which you know always makes now i can enjoy the rest of the world cup the pressure's off now. The pressure's off. Yeah, exactly. exactly. They looked quite good again. They England themselves pretty comprehensively. Hmm, excellent. How about yourself, Ronan? Pretty similar, you know, winding down to end of the work year. I usually take the last week off of work and head home back to Cavan pretty early. So last week in Cork and then back to Cavan next week. Other than that, yeah, watching the football as well. And yeah, no England there. And uh, we're all probably supporting Morocco at this point. You know, always good to see an underdog pick it. All the Morocco the boys, yeah. Semi-finals. Yeah. That sounds good. Am I right? Did I read somewhere the the first African team to make the semi-finals or something? Okay. And the first Arab team, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Hot Morocco then. Good stuff for them. Yeah, no, similar. Not a, not not a wild pile here on on this end. We uh we did mini Christmas, so I got a pretty sweet new Chiefs jumper, which is very nice. I have some new merch to rock now in the stands, which will be nice when hopefully we get the uh, announcement that they're going to be in Germany. And yeah, other than that, went to the the Dublin Wolves Christmas party. It was uh it was good fun. There was a couple of prizes given out. Got a lovely little uh, Christmas tree ornament as well of a football about the marked up for the for the team so that was cool yeah nothing else too wide or crazy i suppose we'll swing right in to the news controversy corner up first u.s house of representatives committee on oversight and reform final report on the washington workplace misconduct was published dan schneider has basically been flagged as permitted and participating in the toxic workplace environment he's also flagged for obstructing the investigation by dodging subpoenas intimidating witnesses through private investigators and refusing to answer really basic questions and overall just being what we knew a dick the nfl is also fact as being complicit as there's no cooperation from their side and they suppress their own internal report on it snyder with the republican member assistance has dismissed the report's findings and says look it's all bruce allen's fault which <laughs> and also reported washington released gruden's emails as a distraction but yeah no this is all just kind of like your money's in bill's house and, and, and ted's house like yeah it's basically look everything you expected is in there the findings are that he was involved knew about and was actively engaging in some of the activities we flagged as well that like they've already been investigating routes for selling the team and i think this is just continuing another nail in the coffin of getting rid of what is the worst ownership group in the nfl at the moment it's not so much surprising, I guess, in terms of the, the Snyder stuff and the, the various culture and, and all the various problems in the Washington workplace. I think it's important to emphasize they really went hard into this. They didn't, this wasn't a, a soft, touchy feely thing. This was definitely asking the hard questions and, and coming up with the, the hard conclusions. But to me, I was struck by the, the NFL's complicity, the knowledge they have, and the fact that they didn't do enough to step in. Going forward, I mean, I think we can expect eventually that, that Washington will move on. Snyder will sell and, and they'll move on. And in moving forward, it's important, not necessarily that what the Washington organization learns anything, but that the, the NFL itself learns stuff because, I mean, they are the, you know, the book stops with them if they can't keep their own house in order and it gets so bad that, you know, the US government has to step in. I mean, that's, that's not a great look for them. So unsurprising largely, but uh, yeah, the NFL has got to clean up its house or else these kind of things are just going to keep happening. Dan Snyder's testimony to the house came in for particular notice uh, he had a move very familiar to watchers of classic irish controversies of he doesn't he didn't recall anything 
basic questions. I do not <laughs> recall about anything. Just I think he said it over a hundred times during his tenement of testimony. Did he not recall? Which I believe at least most of took place from his own yacht. So that's the kind of <laughs> attention Dan Snyder was given to this and did have some support in the committee, the Republicans on the committee who will probably be in charge, which is probably why this, this has been wound down before the change in Congress in January. They basically said, well, what's the government doing wasting time investigating a private company? What are they going to provide in terms of relief whenever that but it's good to see at the end of the day this has really shone a spotlight on what happened to this team you know a report done by the nfl by brad wilkinson was basically buried and that was a major finding of this report so it's good to see this kind of scrutiny coming up on him even in the worst case scenario where this just accelerates the exit of dan snyder from the nfl that's a positive overall but like bruce allen probably isn't a good person but the idea that he alone was responsible for all this and dan snyder was just an innocent bystander it stretches incredulity to its absolute limit and yeah as you mentioned the Washington, D.C. Attorney General's case under financial impropriety continues, so the pressure on him as an owner and on the organisation will continue for a little while longer. We'll go and take a look at some movements around the league. Topped last uh, last week's episode with Baker Mayfield's sweepstakes happening. He was claimed by the LA Rams and due to an injury to their already backup quarterback, he started two days after signing, I believe 36 hours after signing, and won the game. But it was a big drive at the end of the game to win it as well. It was very impressive. Got a game ball in his opening game. I think this is the kind of thing that's really going to solidify him with a good shot of like being a long-term backup or something to show that he can kind of come in, pick up an offense, and lead it in that kind of way. But yeah, pretty pretty good opening for him. Yeah, like we'll see if it's sustainable. Like, I doubt ultimately, it, but, yeah. like the the Raiders <laughs> lost that game as much as he wanted. Coming in two days after being signed off the street after being caught doing that is always going to be fun. And yeah, like looks at least it's something positive for that team and for that player uh, who certainly have been lacking in recent weeks. Yeah, we've got a lot of injuries to plow through this week. So big season-ending type ones. Buffalo edge rusher Vaughn Miller is gone. ACL damage was discovered whenever they went in to try and have a look. The initial scans had them thinking that it was going to be okay but actually it needed repairing so he's gone for the season and New Orleans running back Mark Ingram has done his MCL and he's gone for the season other ones around the league so Cincinnati have a few Trey Hendrickson their edge rusher has injured his wrist he's gone for two to four weeks Ty Higgins their wide receiver injured his hamstring in warm-ups and he's week-to-week and Tyler Boyd has hurt his finger and he's gone for one to three weeks the Jets Mike White God he took a fierce battering in this game and I'm surprised he was actually let back into it he looked in absolute agony so he's got injured ribs and he's week-to-week Quentin Williams their defensive tackle has injured calf and he's day-to-day and obviously that leads to the question of Joe Flacco who was let's be honest frankly brutal when he was on the field there or do you bring Wilson back in at this point I don't know San Francisco wide receiver Debo Samuel has injured his ankle they're hoping he'll be back for the playoffs they're afraid it's a high ankle sprain which would be about four to six weeks Philly edge rusher Robert Quinn has injured his knee he'll be hopefully back for the playoffs he's on the standard IR Damian Pierce the Houston running back has injured his ankle and he's play and he's now week to week and he's likely to miss some time Miami running back Jeff Wilson has injured his hip and he's week to week Baltimore quarterback Tyler Huntley has a concussion and he's week to week question obviously now is is Lamar going to be good enough to come back in at this point or will Anthony Brown be in Kenny Pickett the Pittsburgh quarterback has a concussion and he's also week to week so Trubisky likely gets the start there and Denver quarterback Russell Wilson has a concussion and he is week to week and Brett Ripien is likely to to start if he stays in the concussion protocol so obviously there's a lot to get through here do you want to jump on any of them in particular there Fitz maybe 
Von Miller, obviously, the kind the of closer. situation around that, you know, with the injury picking up the Thanksgiving and kind of things were up and down and a lot of uncertainty and he was positive and the team was a bit more reticent. But, you know, like it turns out it was a ceasing end injury. It's a major loss for them, but they have two young pass rushers in Rousseau and Espinosa who are having a good season. They have some okay depth behind them. It's obviously a huge loss because he was the closer. The thing that was going to let them beat the Chiefs and, you know, the other powerhouses in the AFC. But, you know, like you know, they, they were pretty good last year without Von Miller. It's, it's, it's definitely a loss. But they'll get okay. Mark Ingram, like okay, like look, Saints technically relevant because they're NFC side. But uh, you know, maybe Alvin Kamara can get back on form now. Cincinnati, these are definitely big losses, but I, I think they've shown enough resilience this year they can survive without them. T. Higgins, yeah, a bit of a surprise there. He was expected to play and then kind of pull late. Uh, fancy owners were very happy then, so that's something to keep an eye on going forward. And Tyler Boyd got a dislocated finger, so that sounds worse than it is. It's one of those ones he can come back from in a couple of weeks. Hendrickson, I think it's a broken wrist, so that's pretty problematic. So expect to see him with the big ball club probably when he comes back in a few weeks but we've seen guys play through that before on the defensive line Mike yeah. White <laughs> it did not look good when he got hit he got like ragdolled he, twice like yeah because he, he was put into the locker room and then came back out and like I think the announcer's even saying like look this man should not be coming back in like <laughs> Got through broken the ribs, right? Yeah, he totally was like, I tried playing through this kind of shit. I would not walk around it, but like Mike White's a, he's 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 just a hard working son Lunch of a gun. Lunchpail kind of guy. Lunchpail kind of guy. Just out there, he's very white. You know, you can interpret however you want with his name. That's that. Like if he's out, that's obviously just returns to the whole quick QB quagmire problem. And then Quinn Williams has obviously been a stud for that defense, which is going to be even more important now they're a hurt quarterback or going back to one of these other guys. So definitely an issue there. And then look, Debo Samuel, I think San Francisco would survive because their defense is so good and they have other playmakers, but they'll definitely want him to be fully healthy by the time the playoffs come back and the quality of competition increases again. And then, yeah, look, Robert Quinn, like they don't even need him to be honest. They just traded him because they were bored. I kind of felt like, but they'll have more ammunition in the in the playoffs. Philly after clinching this week, Damian Pearson, Jeff Wilson losses there for Houston, Miami. Probably see more Mostert for Miami, more Drex Burkett for for Houston. And yeah, just the, the quarterback concussion trend that we've kind of seen this year after the Tua situation comes through again. Huntley, Pickett, Wilson. I wouldn't expect any of them to play, and that leaves each team in a relative spot of bother. Like Baltimore, obviously the playoff relevant team. If Anthony Brown's out there even more reliant on J.K. Dobbins and the defense getting it done. Trubisky, I think we've seen enough. I don't want to see that Pittsburgh with him out there. And Ripian, I don't know if Ripian's even that much of a downgrade. Like, Russell Wilson had one of his best games against the Chiefs and still wasn't that good to be overall. But he, considering he had a big, visible lump on his head after that, I, I would be surprised if it's not Brett Ripian. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting one, all right. It's it's that kind of period now where, like, some of these injuries, it's obviously, for some of these teams, it's going to be, you know, crushing because they're trying to get themselves into the playoffs. For some of the other ones, it's kind of like, it's good to get them now like I said like Robert Quinn at this point Philly are in the playoffs so if he can get healthy and be back for it now's the time for it San Francisco with Debo similar kind of thing you know with, sometimes this is the right kind of period to have it rather than it happen on the first first week of January or whatever on that cheery note we'll move over and have a look at the games from last week so first up we have the Jets at the Buffalo Bills 12 to 20. This is one that, you know, you kind of you'd, you'd love to have seen the Jets manage to do it, but we kind of all were expecting them to fall short here. Their defense did a very good job holding Buffalo to only 20. Allen had an okay day, 147 through the air and a touchdown and 47 on the ground and a rushing touchdown. This Jets defense was living up to its billing. They had a safety, they had three sacks, five tackles for a loss. They held them to just a little bit over 200 yards. The Buffalo defense was no slouch either. Two fumbles, two, four sacks, seven tackles for a loss. And as we discussed in the news there, absolutely 
battering the shite out of Mike White, who left the game twice while getting hit while throwing and getting driven into the ground on his ribs. The problem was Flacco was the backup and Flacco looked awful, like just awful. He had a fumble, he he can't move anymore like as soon as they were rushing at all he just looked awful he just looked like he was terrified and about to go down so no elite dragon joe flacco anymore it's maybe time to put him out to pasture or take him out the back of the shed and shoot him one of the two it was unfortunate for them it was a game that you would have loved to have seen the jets do but also to be honest if we're thinking about coming to the season where we are at relatively to these two teams of buffalo were obviously your kind of favorites or second favorites in the afc and then you had the Jets who everyone's like, well, I wonder what they'll look like. For them to have a defense that can hold them to this kind of spot where, like, realistically, if it wasn't for injuries to, to the quarterback, you could have seen the Jets do it if it wasn't for a silly, like, wasn't Carter had the fumble later on as well. But, like, this is a positive game for the Jets. It shows that they are actually able to kind of go toe-to-toe with some of the bigger boys in the AFC just they're a little bit lacking at the quarterback position, particularly here with the injuries. I wouldn't be too downhearted if I was a Jets fan coming out of this. No, I mean, it was a decent performance. I would question how much we can read into this game at all, given it was another one of those wonderful Buffalo weather games, wind and rain, that was apparently it, it was much worse than it looked on TV, or at least that's what the commentators were saying. So I, again, it, it kind of, you can file that under the games, so, you know, the, the, the Pats Buffalo game from last year, whatever games that... You have limited information based on, on what happened. But yeah, it was def- defensive on top on both sides. I mean, the Bills defense were in full murder mode. It's really interesting to see. I mean, Gregory Russo was developing very well, and I, I liked what they were doing. It was a kind of environment in which, you know, de- it was going to be a defense or running kind of game. And it took a while for both sides to, to come to terms with the limitations that was going to come onto it. So for the Bills, I mean, it's I don't think we learned an awful lot. We know that they're good. We don't necessarily know if they're the best team in the NFL or the, the best team in the AFC, but we know they're they're up there and their challenges aren't going to come f- uh, for another month or so. For the Jets, I would be getting a little worried. I mean, the offense, it's obviously they've got the quarterback issues to deal with, but it just kind of feels like they've lost their rhythm a little bit. They haven't looked all that great the last few weeks. I mean, here, Knight had a, had a good game as, uh, on the run, but there wasn't an awful lot else going on. The penalties were killing them all game. And it was just like stupid penalties on first down and stuff that, that were hurting them. They just kind of feel like that mojo that they had three or four weeks ago when everything was working and they were taking scalps has kind of dissipated a bit. They kind of feel like they're not quite where they were back then. And and this is a little bit worrying because they're seven and six. They're right there on, on I think they're now officially out of the playoff spots. Yeah. due to the, the Chargers win, and I think the Pats win is going to knock them even further down. So they basically have to start winning games, and their schedule is... It's not impossible, but it's not great. They've got the Lions next week, which is going to be a really tough game. They've got the Jags, who are on their day, can beat anybody, but they just don't seem to have that day very often. They, then they got the Seahawks and the Dolphins. There's no winnable games. There's just no easy wins. They could very easily lose those four games, or they could go two and two, and that might not be enough. And for this season, which a month ago looked in a really good place and going exciting run into playoffs, they might not make the playoffs now the way things are going. And it kind of feels like their bubble has been burst a little bit, and they've got to fix this thing, the quarterback thing, quickly, get their offense clicking again. Because as I said before, the defense is top quality. It's, it's elite, but they, their problems are all on the offensive side, and they still haven't really found the answers yet. I think there's definitely a chance that Jets miss out in the playoffs. The AFC is a, you know, really competitive you know, you obviously have Miami, you have Chargers, you might have New England, even like a surprise team like the Jags can come out the back because, you know, teams are beating each other right now. So, look, I think for the Jets, this was always 
a, a, like a, a growing season and they've obviously dealt with some adversity in terms of injuries obviously missing Brees Hall you know at the quarterback such I think the fact that they're here that their defense is so good there's so much to build on that you would love to see them in the playoffs because they have so many things going for them and they're obviously a franchise who could do it a little bit of luck but yeah like the, the, the odds are probably stacking against them now particularly if Mike White is injured or is out for any time of time period so yeah like look I think the Jets they're plucky they fight hard they've got so much to build for going forward because they have such a young team overall but I think these games the games they're losing against Buffalo the game they lost against Minnesota the games they're losing against the Patriots like they're only two and four over the last six weeks it's a lot to overcome as for Buffalo they just kind of came in in relatively wintry conditions and they just took care of business Allen look he wasn't great I think they they only got their first touchdown towards the end of the first half so he was struggling there but we've seen Allen been willing to put his body on the line in recent weeks and he's really had to do that I think they would love to be the dominant team they were early in the season but like similar to last season they're like okay if we need to win games and we want to get that number one seed we need to just go all out and that means Alan's getting hit and Alan's doing crazy stuff but hey it's it's getting it done and you know I think this Jets defense he's probably glad to see the back of them hopefully uh, for the rest of the season if they're not in the playoffs but the good thing for Buffalo is their defense seems to be getting back on track Trey White's back in the defensive backfield that seems to have shored things up in terms of the passing game they're getting great play out of a couple of young uh, pass rushers in Epineza and Rousseau after having them been injured a bit relying more on Bob Miller which unfortunately may be why he got injured as well Ed Oliver's having a great season Matt Milano's playing well and even though they're missing guys now like Vaughn Miller and they're missing guys like Micah Hyde they don't seem to be too far back from where they were at their best so I think this is a defense if it can stay healthy could be a major factor down the run so I think Buffalo look I don't know if they're quite the super Nova team that they kind of seemed like for a while there but they're still a really really good team certainly competition for anyone else in the AFC but they're having to work but that's that, that's a sign of a good team I suppose um, and they can just hope to stay healthy enough that when it comes to January that they'll still have this arsenal on both sides of the ball but overall look a better team won here they gritted it out they got the tough win uh, for Buffalo they're obviously win now mode so it probably means a bit more next up we have Miami at the Chargers bit of a surprise here 17 to 23 the Chargers decide to get the finger out and start the playoff campaign I suppose Herbert goes for 275 yards and a touchdown Williams has 116 and a touchdown and Allen gets nearly 100 on 92 total for the thing it was an interesting approach Miami came at them very aggressively on defense they got four sacks they got nine tackles for a loss Tua struggled a good bit in this like completed basically a third of his passes he had 145 yards a touchdown and 28 in the ground 200 yards total against a Chargers defense that quite frankly has not been up to scratch for the last while is not going to be enough you're looking at a team that was this big explosive offense and was blowing everyone away and it's just just something isn't clicking right at the moment now the question is they've, they've, they've already got a good bit of a head start in terms of the win column so they should be okay heading into the playoffs but the question is is this a team that is kind of coming back down to earth doesn't have the ability to put it up as they would expect or is it just that the chargers have essentially remembered that they are the winners of the offseason and they're meant to be the champions and they can actually play that good because even at that this is uh, Miami defense that I think has some nice pieces but doesn't blow you away and you'd expect that the Chargers if they are going to have a big day like cause they had 375 yards passing and they put up 23 points like that is a very bad conversion ratio to have at the same time like 
it's a, it's a good win to have, particularly against a strong playoff level team in Miami and in, in conference. So that'll, that might come down to being important, particularly as they're in the hunt for wild cards and so on. But I need to see more from the Chargers. Like, it's a good win. Don't get me wrong. I need to see more before I start to think, yeah, these guys are going to challenge anyone higher up. But for Miami, they need to figure out why the car is not ticking over and they need to get it started again. When I was having my walk today, I was kind of mulling this over and I kind of came to a conclusion that I think you'll enjoy a lot, Connor, because, you know, obviously a few weeks ago, Herbert was struggling. He was hurt a bit. He had a lot of injuries in the offensive line. He was missing his best weapons and the Chargers seemed to be just falling off the grid completely. Now, Tua, his offensive line is injured. Tyreek Hill left some of this game with injury, though he did come back. Jane Waddle picked up a knock last week. They're obviously missing their two uh, offensive tackles and he's struggling now. So the logical conclusion is that both these guys are just system quarterbacks, right? Like they're just only as good as the talent around them. <laughs> and neither of them deserve the hype that they get at any given time when all the pieces come together. And like, I'm probably having a little bit of fun here because I think Herbert did show the kind of things about why people get so hyped about him, though. I know you don't subscribe to anymore, but uh, Move the Sticks, I think they said they would draft Herbert overall, number one in that draft still over uh, Joe Burrow. So I think you'd be glad not to be listening to that for your blood pressure Connor. Yeah, yeah, uh, like, but, those guys are morons. Jesus Christ. Yeah, well, like one of them ones for, one of them works for the Chargers. So, like, like I think you saw the things why Herbert is so exciting, why people get so hyped around them, particularly outside the pocket in this game. Like Miami's defensive line was getting pressure; they were getting sacks and getting aggressive. But Herbert just—it seemed like nearly every second play was getting outside the pocket and stinging a big play to Mike Williams, who obviously a huge relief to have some element of, of a deep threat for this offense again. Like it's such a slow offense without Williams. Williams isn't even that much of a burner, but he's compared to everyone else out there who has to win basically literally be the best, you know. Uh, right runner in the league in the case of Keenan Allen are just being solid like Josh Palmer it just adds something extra there that means that the rest of the pieces like Allen and uh, Eckler just come together and the whole thing just looks a lot more solid I think the big surprising thing for me is that the defense seemed to finally have a good game Staley obviously without the two offensive tackles I said that would be a huge problem for Miami so it's proven with their two you know shocking offensive displays in the last couple of weeks I think there's something else going on I think what San Francisco played pretty aggressive press man they got Hill and and waddle off their timing and we know that Tua is a great timing quarterback like if the read is there he will like be like that so if the system is working similar to a lot of these Shanahan type scenes which obviously McDaniel comes from you know it all looks unstoppable but if you can disrupt it if you can turn the timing off if Tua doesn't quite know what's going on suddenly he looks a lot more human he suddenly he looks a lot more scared and he starts making mistakes and this was a terrible game I think this was like one of the most inaccurate games in recent years since like I think that's Sam Darnold ghost game. So this is truly a, a, a very worrying sign for Miami, who, you know, while still well ensconced for a, for a wild card spot, it's not completely comfortable with the way the AFC is. So obviously some of these injuries will, will undo themselves in, in upcoming weeks and hopefully the defense can step up. But the AFC East is probably out of hand now. I think they're not going to catch up with, and the schedule probably won't be as tough as the 49ers and, and this Chargers team, which seems to they've caught on a hot week. But yeah, you've got to be concerned if you're a Miami fan. But the talent is there. We've seen enough this year that we think they can turn it around and they'll probably still be in the playoffs. But definitely worries. I talked just there about the Jets feeling their season was falling apart. The Dolphins are there. They're maybe a few weeks behind where the, where the Jets are in terms of things falling apart. This was just a terrible, terrible performance, especially on the offensive side by the Dolphins. At first, I was just like, it's a slow start. They're going to get into it. Then they're just, oh, they're just being sloppy. They're going to get into it. 
But they said no point did they actually step up and look like a playoff team in this game. I mean, Tua had an absolutely brutal game, one of the worst games he's had this year, a real step back in, into the last few years. And, you know, in, in his evolution, it seems to be falling away. As Fitz said there, the, the Chargers made some good defensive adjustments. One of the things that the combinators highlighted is that the Chargers were shutting out the middle of the field, which given the Dolphins... An awful lot of their play runs through the middle, completely bamboozled to and made him have to think, basically, he couldn't compensate. This is the thing that it does seem like he is a system QB, and they had a really good system with two fantastic wide receivers, and that's why it's been working for 13 weeks of the season. But I think teams have been able to figure it out. And that's a problem for the Dolphins because that is a big part of what their success is, is that they look so devastating and exciting on offense. And if teams have the answer in week 14, it means they're going to have the answer in week 18. It means they're going to have the answer in the wildcard round, et cetera, et cetera. So there's problems that need to be solved on the Dolphins' side and it need to be solved now. And it, it centers around Tua and his game and he has to, to become a little bit more of an innovator, a little bit more able to think on his feet. In terms of the Chargers, I mean, this was a classic primetime Chargers performance. They're always great in primetime. They always bring their A game and Justin Herbert always looks like a superstar when, when the lights are shining. Chris Consworth was in love with him in this game. It was quite an impressive performance in terms of the moving around. And they did generally look like the better team and they did generally look like now that the pieces are slowly starting to come back they're still not all their, their injuries cleared, but now they're getting their big pieces back bit by bit. They are starting to look a little bit like the team that we saw at the, in the first few weeks of the season who looked really good, looked like a devastating team that could go on a good run. And if they are healthy for the playoffs, they are going to be a very tough team to beat. That said, they were so clearly the superior team in this game, and yet they only won by six points, and yet they needed like a, a turnover with a minute to go to, to seal the game. Like they just were not scoring as many points as they should, and they gave up some sloppy plays on the other side. I mean, the Tyreek Hill scored two touchdowns. He probably shouldn't have scored. One was a, a freak off a fumble. The other was a kind of one of his classic long, long uh, runs past a, a helpless cornerback. Uh, and that was basically the, the sum total of the Dolphins' score. They scored 17 points, and two of them were off Tyreek Hill doing a thing. So the Chargers need to be worried about that, about the fact that they were dominating this game for 58 minutes, and yet still they only won by six points. And that kind of seems to be where the Chargers are. They don't quite live up. They look really nice. They look really spectacular and pretty. But they don't dominate games. They, they don't destroy teams, and they leave teams hanging around. And that is why they end up losing. They've lost six games so far this season because they're, they just aren't able to, to kill teams the way the Chiefs or the Bills or the Eagles are. So, I mean, that's the worry for them. They'll be a really exciting playoff team if they make it, but I, I don't know if they have their killer instinct to win a playoff game or, or to go on a good playoff run. And for the Dolphins, I mean, they just got to get their shit together because the AFC playoff wildcard door is closing pretty quickly and they're going to find themselves on the wrong side of it if they don't fuck up soon. It's a fun one just about like the kind of why Miami aren't doing great. It's like, it might be just that, you know, they missed the lifestyle in Miami. There was a report going around that they were using heaters on the sidelines in LA where it's, you know, 55 degrees. They're playing in Buffalo this Saturday and it's below freezing. <laughs> We talked in the previews, but there's some weather reports that it might be a full uh, lake snow effect ongoing this week in Buffalo. So. Yeah, exciting, exciting. Next up, we have Minnesota at Detroit, 23 to 34. Sean called it. Detroit stay playoff relevant and start getting themselves back up in beating a couple of these. I suppose you kind of have to call them big boys given their record, but like, you know, it's the Minnesota team, so let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Jared Goff, who was in the news this week because the Lions don't know why anyone thought he was a bridge quarterback and see him as a starter starter, had a great day, 330 and three touchdowns and chops up 
got some, quite a poor Minnesota defense with balanced pass and rush. They had over 130 on the ground as well. But yeah, it was good. Like they had a Jameson Williams touchdown, a Sewell touchdown. Big boy. Big boy, yeah. I believe was, was he the one that they then came out and said, oh, I think he could be a Hall of Fame tight end. Like he'd have to lose <laughs> yeah. a bit of weight. Ah, <laughs> uh, Dan Campbell. Dan Campbell's great. Kirk Cousins had a big statistical day, as always seems to be the case in these types of games. So he had 425 yards and two touchdowns. Jefferson absolutely destroyed anyone who was put on marking him. So he had over 200 yards. It's not looking great for Minnesota. They're looking more and more like the teams from beforehand. Like, you're getting big performances out of Justin Jefferson, yeah. And you can get some nice stuff on the ground, but like... It doesn't feel strong enough to take on any of the big boys. It doesn't feel like it'll last into the playoffs. It feels like they could get lucky and win one game, but they don't feel like they've got the backbone to do it because when you look at this Detroit team, it's all backbone. Like It's just big, angry backbone pushing up. Like I would back Detroit in a playoff game before I'd back Minnesota in a playoff game, even given their relative records. Um, this is quite exciting. Was one, this is the kind of results you need to see to keep Dan Campbell at Detroit, which I think we all are in favour of. But Chad, too, this is a team that is gearing itself up for possibly being the, the guys who play spoiler in the NFC playoffs, if they can just keep this ball rolling. Oh yeah, this is a team that six weeks ago was one and six and, and looked like they were going nowhere, and now they're six and seven with four winnable games, and if they win all four, they're definitely in the playoffs, I would say. They could even get in with three of the four. The teams they're playing, the Jets, who are, we talked about, are falling to bits, the Panthers, who are shite, the Bears, who, you know, have no defense, and then the Packers. And it's like, they could win all those games. They, they look good enough to win all those games. The only team that they've lost to in the last six weeks have been the Buffalo Bills in Thanksgiving, and they almost won that one as well. We knew this season that they had a great offense. They've been scoring 35 points a game since, since week one. And I got to tip my hat to Jared Goff. I, I've been a bit critical of him at times uh, on the pod over the, over the last little while, but he's really, he's having an impressive year. This was a one performance. This, to, uh, this, this performance here was the first time I've really seen him look completely 100% comfortable in his role since the time that he was on the Rams and they did that Super Bowl run. It kind of feels like he's getting his confidence back. He's getting his sense of himself back. I mean, he's always got a mistake in him. There's no doubt about that. But there is a talented quarterback in there that I think is slowly coming out. The, the touchdown pass to, to DJ Shark was just beautiful to watch. So the offense is clicking. They've got their pieces back, Swift and Amon Ra, and it's all working wonderfully. What's changed for the Lions is their defense. And I talked about this a little bit. Last week, that they moved around personnel a bit, the big thing that the commentators highlighted was Aiden Hutchison has been moved away from the, the opposition's tight end onto the other side of the lineup, and he is killing people. He had another sack in this game, I think, leading the team now with seven sacks for the season. If it wasn't for Sauce Gardner, he'd be a very good shout for Defensive Rookie of the Year. They're using their personnel more effectively. It feels like they've solved the problem of this defense and it's turning into a really good good defense that is actually an asset rather than a liability. They were non-stop getting penetration into the backfield here. They killed Dalvin Cook with a number of times behind the line. A scrimmage had a huge turnover late in the second quarter that killed Minnesota's momentum when it mattered. They just look really good. And if it wasn't for the fact that they are 6-7, and seven, I'd be really excited about seeing this team in the playoffs because it's still going to be quite tough even in the NFC, but I think they can do it. If they do, as, like you said, they get into a wild card and they take on, they might get Minnesota if they're the seventh seed. They might get the Vikings or, or they, they might get the 49ers or someone. and it's, Or there's an outside chance maybe they get the Bucks or something. That's a that's a really fun wildcard game. And I'd put them, I'd say they'd have a chance against all of those teams that they play. In terms of the Vikings, I mean, this is what regression to the mean looks like. This is, I, I've been talking, I said this, been saying this for weeks now. This team, 
Last year were better than their record looked. This year, they're worse than their record is because it's basically it's the same team except Justin Jefferson is now decided to become an absolute monster Randy Moss-style wide receiver. They still have the same weaknesses. The secondary is a bit of a mess, both in terms of the schemes, that they were setting up schemes really badly against the Lions here were being picked off with really simple, predictable schemes, but also execution. They got burned on some really big plays. So the secondary is weakness. Kirk Cousins is a is a stat monster, but you don't trust him in big situations. The biggest problem for the Vikings here is that their running game was non-existent. Dalvin Cook got 23 yards off something like 17 or 18 carries against what is not by any means an elite running defense. This is they're the bottom half of the league in terms of, of running defense, the Lions, and the, the Vikings just couldn't get anything done. I mean, it doesn't matter if Justin, Justin Jefferson can be the best wide receiver in the world. It doesn't matter if the rest of the team is of this quality. The Vikings aren't doing anything the comparison would probably be the lions with megatron Absolutely. the vikings the thing, with randy yeah. moss or the vikings with randy <laughs> moss, I suppose, yeah. having a really really good wide receiver is is not the answer to all your problems they're going to get oh, a home no. playoff game because they're going to win their division but i can't see them doing any any kind of damage in the playoffs and as like you connor i think if the lions make the playoffs they have a much better chance of going having a deep run than the vikings next up houston at dallas my god no one was expecting this to be a game 23 to 27 dallas survive they need a big goal line stand at the end to do it and then they need to drive the ball 98 yards and score as well it, it was a very unusual game plan from houston so they were you know scrappy and opportunistic on defense like the reason they got into this spot was you know recovering fumbles and stuff like that and kind of getting them there but then they decided that they were going to run two different quarterbacks at different times they basically had mills in and then they bring in driscoll as well and they were basically just telegraphing. When Mills was in, they were going to pass the ball. He had 175 through the air and an interception. When Driscoll was in, he was going to run the ball. So they were kind of trying to use his legs a lot. Now, they also had the problem of Damian Pierce, who's kind of been the engine of this offense. He had 78 yards and a touchdown, but he did also, he was hobbling after the game. He was definitely picked up an injury in here. So like that, that hurt them a bit, particularly when they were trying to salt the game away later on in it. But yeah, their defense did pretty well. Two interceptions, a fumble, turnover on downs, a sack, four tackles for a loss. Like they were flying all over the place like like they didn't look like a one-win team and as we said this is a Dallas team that you know has all the skill positions filled that they need to be competitive and have a good defense yet they were just I don't know if it was one of those ones where they've kind of looked past this game on the schedule thinking sure what do we need to concern ourselves with an out-of-conference one-win team that's coming down to us to play like they I I, I, I feel they kind of trap games themselves here by looking past it Dak had an okay game he had his 280 yards a touchdown he did throw two interceptions in it but yeah like I said like their defense took the goal line stand and stopped it. They were able to drive the 98 yards at the end to get the win. It was impressive. I was actually watching this in the pub with a couple of Cowboys fans who were shitting it, which was great to see. For Dallas, a good win. It was able to, good to see that they were able to pull themselves back together and, and drive at the end to, to get this result. How they allowed themselves to get into that result is probably a bigger question for the longevity of it. But I do I do kind of see it as a they just looked past this Houston team and just weren't actually at the races for this game. And that's what happened for Houston. Nice. Nice to see them take the opportunities. Nice to see a couple of the players step up, particularly on the defensive side. Shows there are definitely some pieces there. Although this whole splitting QBs thing, there's a reason people don't don't do it. It's dumb. 
they were using Jeff Driscoll as almost kind of like a Taysom Hill type character. And I suppose when you have Davis Mills as your quarterback, I don't blame you for doing that, to be honest. Like if Davis Mills was like the New Orleans quarterback, I'd probably be less annoyed by the Taysom Hill stuff, even though like Andy Dalton's bad, but he's not like Davis Mills, but even with a decent game here. Let's talk about the Cowboys first. Like obviously it's one of those kind of flush and forget games where, you know, you do everything wrong, but you still get a, get away with the win. So hopefully by the time we get to next week and by the end of the season, if you're in the playoffs, just a, a brief note in the history book that will be quickly forgotten you know most of it was fine like the run game was solid the defense was okay I think like the defense has really been put into tough positions by the offense failing to take advantage of their opportunities but I think the biggest concern of your Cowboys fan is Doc Prescott like two interceptions here after having a poor game last week um he just doesn't quite look there now we know Doc Prescott can get hot he can get going again kind of be up and down sometimes but I think it's one of the worst defenses in the league albeit one that's probably better against the pass than the run like it wasn't a great showing and I think you'd have to worry about his decision making you have to worry about you know his connection with his weapons obviously they really have CeeDee Lamb and then Michael Gallup is still coming back he's had some explosive plays but he's not quite fully back and James Washington was thrown in here after coming with injuries like it's a solid offense it's not the deepest offense but it's a solid offense I think they will probably turn this around but you know just some little minor concerns there that we'll have to keep an eye on there if Dak can turn this around and the run game was you know around four yards a carry so it wasn't a problem but it wasn't the solution either and I think they did I think when you say they look past it I did feel at certain moments that they showed them disrespect like I think there was a, a play early in this game where they ran the ball four times and it's just kind of like that's disrespectful to the other team where you're just like oh we're going to do literally the same play four times in a row and they were rightfully rejected for it by this Houston defense that really showed up and the Houston defense is a weird thing with a bunch of really young players a bunch of really old players but like shout out to the young players like Traymond Smith got the two interceptions Jalen Petrie had a great game including a pass breakup if that could have been a touchdown so you know they have guys setting tone but they do have like random Mario Allison and Jerry Hughes so it's a bit of a weird defense but look they had a good game here they certainly weren't the reason they lost this game despite you know the 98 yard you know they like the offense kind of just kept putting them in tough difficult positions because you know even though the offense did put up 23 points it was still very very kind of wibbly wobbly very like the saints like which is better than what most of the texans have been this year but still completely unreliable like damian pierce went for 78 yards he got the touchdown unfortunately basically at the end of this game prescott threw his second interception they could have got a touchdown salted the game away fair play uh to the coaching staff they went for it but they didn't have damian pierce so they were rolling out the corpse of rex burkhead who looked to be playing at half the speed of this defensive line from dallas so it was the right decision the wrong outcome at uh, the wrong personnel but like you can only work what you have when especially when your team like Houston which is show shorthanded so you know they did the brave thing and it ended up costing them here although I suppose if Dallas had scored the touchdown anyway they would have won anyway if they took in the field goal so like I think for Houston it, it's kind of tough to see where they go from here like this could be the kind of game where maybe they kind of pull their shit together and at least put up a little bit of fight going forward with guys like Chris Moore and Amari Rogers suddenly being relevant for like fantasy and being fun enough but just as easily you could see them taking this and they did look and when you saw them on the sidelines uh, towards the end of the game when they realized they were going to lose this game after putting everything in and they poured everything in this game that this could collapse every week from here on out like this was their chance to gain some pride and they missed out on it and it could just implode from here and like obviously lovey smith 
you know, his security on that chair is pretty light, we'll say, even as a first-year coach. We, we've kind of talked about the situation with the, the ownership there previously. I hope not. Like, you know, I think Texans fans and those players deserve, you know, a bit more respect here. They, they have put up a good showing, but ultimately the offensive deficiencies meant that Dallas had multiple chances to win this game. And in the end, they, they finally had one chance too many and they, they took it and they got the win. Yeah, it was unfortunate though. It would have been lovely to see those salty, salty Cowboys tears. As always, we say, look, all games are important, just some are less important and we don't care about them. So we give them to Fitz and he puts them in the dump off. So take it away, Fitz. Yes, it's week 14 in the dump off and that means more and more teams are slipping into irrelevancy and looking towards next year's draft. Except for the Rams, because they have no picks, but they have former number one overall pick who worked out, so uh, maybe things aren't so bad. So this week we'll start with a game maybe worth more consideration, Kansas City at Denver, 34-28 win for Kansas City. Talking a game here where Kansas City blew Denver out early, 27-0 up, but they threw two interceptions towards the end of the first half and allowed Denver back in because they got two touchdowns off those uh, to Jerry Judy. And that kind of made it slightly closer second half where Kansas City kind of clammed up a bit, leaned on the run game, leaned on the screen game a bit more. But overall, you know, they never looked like they were going to lose and they always looked like they could get more scores if they needed them. I think Mahomes, 352 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions. Not the ideal stat line, but we'll see in the better games that he will probably clean things up. Uh, the interceptions were pretty ugly, though I think good plays by the defensive backfield as well. But some of those touchdowns were entertaining, particularly the no-look shovel pass uh, that really got the, uh, the Kansas City fans going. For Denver, I suppose improvement. Three touchdowns for Russell Wilson, one for Brett Ripien. That's certainly more than they've usually had this year. But Russell Wilson did throw a pick six in this game uh, that led to the 27-0 like, hole that they eventually weren't quite capable of digging their way out of you know Russell Wilson was almost trying to pray the Willie Gay away who got that pick six but you know in the end an okay game for them but Russell Wilson also picks up that concussion after a big hit off after a rush that meant Ripping came in and he was fine but he, he was really struggling you know this is an offense that's bad for a reason but hey Jerry Judy got three touchdowns so maybe there's hope if not for this year certainly for next year Next up, Baltimore-Pittsburgh, 16-14. Baltimore scraped out a division win against their rivals, really because their defense dominated here. They had three interceptions against Mitch Trubisky, who came in after Kenny Vick got a concussion early in this game. And all of those happened in Baltimore territory, where, you know, obviously, we're talking about a two-point game here that obviously is quite important. They got two sacks and three tackles for loss as well, but those picks were really the main thing they did. Trubisky, you know, he had some exciting plays. He was kind of just out there flinging around like a really, really bad version of Josh Allen. But ultimately, you know, those mistakes, two of which were really on him. One was a great play. Three picks, just not acceptable. I think, you know, he's not going to be replacing Pickett whenever Pickett comes back from his concussion protocol. And so that really threw away the Pittsburgh chances because they were solid here. The defense obviously did a good job shutting down the combination of Huntley, who ended up being concussed himself during this game, and Anthony Brown, who's really, you know, just a guy uh, that also runs the ball okay but can't pass the ball but thankfully for the Ravens uh, JK Dobbins came back had over 100 yards and a touchdown here that provided a sparkle but he's still running a little bit strangely he doesn't quite trust that ACL quite yet but the main thing for Baltimore is that they gutted out a tough win kept themselves well in the competition for the division and also for a wildcard run if they fall behind Cincinnati and they'll take that right now considering all of the issues they're dealing with. Next up, Jacksonville at Tennessee, 36-22. You know, we're talking about Tennessee here, they're sliding. We thought they were going to win this division easily, but maybe things are coming into question here. Jacksonville are two games back, they play Tennessee in week 18. Maybe Sean's wildcard spot isn't quite out of reach for Jacksonville, but we'll see, we'll see. In terms of this game, Jacksonville defense came to play. They had four turnovers, four sacks, five tackles for loss. They were just battering this offense end-to-end. -end. Tannehill, 
He was responsible for two of those turnovers himself. He had two touchdowns, but those were really in garbage time, uh, and he was really missing in action till garbage time, to be honest. King Henry, really, really strong start to this game. He had most of his 155 yards in the first quarter or so, but he had two fumbles later on, which ended up being costly. They had other fumbles they really would like to have taken back, but ultimately, you know, Tennessee were just sloppy, and they don't have a defense right now, because Lawrence, he had 368 yards, three touchdowns against a defense, which I think is missing, you know, nine out of its 11 starters or whatever. And Evan Ingram happened to be the biggest beneficiary at 160 yards and two touchdowns. Zay Jones had a solid game despite dropping the ball several times. So, yeah, this is just really a game where Jacksonville, like, they have so much youth and excitement around them that, you know, I wouldn't mind them winning this division. And Tennessee, where they are going right now, even though they have the, you know, superior record, they, they look like a team that's in free fall. We'll see if Rabel can turn that around. Next up, Cleveland at Cincinnati, 10-23. Cincinnati overcome a solid but ultimately undisciplined Cleveland outfit. They had nearly 100 yards in flags, Cleveland. Burrow, he showed his class. You know, he was missing two of his weapons, Boyd and Higgins. But thankfully, Jamar Chase is back now. He had nearly 120 yards and a touchdown. You know, it was a tough day for Burrow against a defense, which, which usually is quite hard to play against. He had 240 yards, two touchdowns and interception. But we see that when the chips are down, he rushes the ball. He gets the, the big place to chase. He got a nice big play to Trent Irwin here. Go, go on the Crocodile Hunter. It, it, it's really just a solid play from Cincinnati. And that was enough against the team in Cleveland, which obviously they're trying things out with Watson. He had 250 yards, a touchdown interception, 140 notes to Donovan Peoples-Jones. He was better than last week, but you still see the limitations. You still see the rust there. And his interception was bad. It just didn't see the defensive back. And he had major failures in fourth down here. Although one of those actually happened to Jacoby Brissett as well. One big thing to keep an eye on, like Chubb only had 34 yards here. He hasn't been quite the same in recent weeks. They definitely want to turn that around if they want to actually start winning games. Next up, Carolina Seattle, 30-24. I said last week I was worried about this game and so it came to be. Carolina just bullied Seattle in this game. Just ran the ball right down their throat with a combination of Hubbard, Foreman and Blackshear combining for 180 yards and two touchdowns. And like Seattle had an early hole in this game that they had to dig their way out of. And when they just looked like they were just about to overhaul things, Carolina realized, oh wait, we could just run the ball at them, kill the clock, and they had two clock killer drives here that really meant that Seattle didn't have a chance by the time the fourth quarter was coming towards conclusion. Darnold was fine, he had a touchdown 120, but he understood his role, which is not to let Seattle have any chances to get the ball back. On the other hand, Gino, he had two interceptions this game, not great, especially early, but you know, like he has all year, he turns around, he gets better, he had three touchdowns in the middle of this game to kind of make it a competition again, but look, the defense doesn't really exist, especially against the run game. The run game for Seattle doesn't exist, it had less than 30 yards, albeit missing Kenneth Walker, though to be fair, hasn't even that group of Kenneth Walker in there recently, so there's just so much for him to overcome if they're going to win games, and you know, in a stretch of games where we, I was hoping they'd go 3-0 and against the, the Raiders, the Rams, and the Carolina Panthers, they went 1-2, and two, and I think they have a much tougher schedule down the stretch, so I think Seattle's playoff hopes are basically dead. Now, Carolina's, though, are very much alive because that NFC South is such a shit show. Next up, Vegas at the Rams on Thursday Night Football, 16-17. to 17. We've kind of alluded to already, you know, a last-minute drive, you know, done by Baker. He also had a touchdown drive just before that as well. 230 yards and a touchdown. You know, 16-3 in the fourth quarter. How do you lose this? Well, it's the Vegas Raiders. They're just bad at football. Fair play to Baker in his first drive. He didn't get the touchdown in the end, but he was solid and, and very disciplined. In the second one, for whatever reason, Vegas were playing kind of aggressive man uh, defense. And he's just like, okay, I'll just like give my guys a one-on-one -on -one chance. And then they've been good enough for Van Jefferson on a score. 
On the other hand, for Vegas in their offense, Carr was terrible, 137 and two interceptions. And, you know, they had Adams going in the first half. He had 71 yards, but they stopped using him. I don't know if the Rams schemed him away or it's just Carr was bad, but it, it's inexplicable. It's like there's things he has, they just stopped using Adams. I don't know why, it's just a bad idea. Josh Jacobs was still good over 100 yards and a touchdown, but they were really grinding him into dust. I think he picked up a finger injury that he came out of, and like, fair play to him. He's playing through so many injuries at this point. He's questionable every single week, but like, uh, this is getting ugly, I feel. I don't know if this is, this is really sustainable uh, for a guy who's gonna be a free agent. That's not good for him, but he's such a warrior. He just goes out every week, and then the defense, you know, they were solid up until the collapse laid on. So, you know, they have guys like Max Crosby who are super, like, superstars, but just not the sum of their parts. Ugh. Next up, New England and Arizona, Monday Night Football, 27th to 13. The score flatters New England a little bit, but, like, look, they just ground out what turned out to be an incredibly attritional game here. As New England's defense, they got a fumble touchdown, they got an interception, they had six sacks, six tackles for losses, they suppressed McCoy for 270 yards and interception, Hopkins at 78 yards, and he fumbled that ball ended up being a touchdown you know obviously Kyler went out early in this game the signs are not great right now that he'll be back this season but we'll talk about that next week when that's confirmed as we're recording a little bit early this week you know overall just not good for Arizona they were just incredibly sloppy they were getting flags at bad moments they were getting drops at bad moments they were had four downs that they failed to convert just ugh, classic Arizona sloppiness that New England were just able to do enough to beat. You know, it wasn't exactly a great day for New England. Like, their defense obviously great with Josh Uche and the rest. But, you know, the Mac attack, 235 yards and interception. Admittedly, Stevenson was out early, Parker were out early, but, you know, still not great. Against an Arizona defense, it's better, but, you know, still not, nothing to write home about. Ultimately, I think New England were just happy to grind it out and not do anything exciting. And, you know, it's worked enough this year that they're now back in the playoff spots. Though I don't think anyone wants to have seen them in playoffs when you have teams like the Jets or the Chargers who could be there instead. Next up, Tampa Bay at San Francisco, 7 to 35, and absolutely hammering for Tom Brady on one of his few uh, homecomings to San Francisco. The defense had three turnovers. They shut out Brady in the first half, who was 34 for 55, 250 yards, touchdown, but two interceptions, both which were, you know, when the game was already out of hand and he was just. In, he picked up a finger injury and he was just overthrowing the ball and you know Tampa Bay were picking up flags by the bucket load including one that wiped out an Evans touchdown and just terrible like for White also had a fumble here so you know just couldn't get him going here Brock Purdy on the other hand you know didn't have to do most of the work here because you know CMC at 152 yards and two touchdowns all purpose so he was doing a lot of the work but Purdy three touchdowns which were a few of them were pretty Purdy themselves I would say so definitely something to work with going forward here though we did pick up a knock so we'll see if he plays next week but this Tampa Bay defense which is supposed to be a fearsome unit hasn't really been this year and you know Tampa Bay all right now they're probably still the best team in their division but they're still not good San Francisco as long as Brock Purdy can play I think they're still uh, very much a contender in the NFC playoff hunt and finally the NFC East Philly assert their dominance there as they win 48 to 22 you know they dominated the Giants end to end Hertz had three touchdowns nearly 300 yards Sanders at 155 yards and two touchdowns to salt the game away and Philly for the first time in 2014 have a thousand yard wide receiver and a thousand yard running back Danny Dimes on the other hand was, he was okay nearly 200 yards and two touchdowns were mostly garbage time but this defense in Philly is just a dominant unit and you know he doesn't really have anyone to throw to right now so you know, it's just kind of desperate for them. Very much still in that kind of wildcard hunt, but very much one of the fading powers you feel in that. You know, not great, but Philly, hey, they clinch your playoff spot and they can look forward to some more wins, I feel, down the stretch as they try to lock up that number one seed. That's the dump off for week 14. Uh, we'll move on to our preview for week 15. <laughs>
So first up, we have San Francisco at Seattle on Thursday night football. Purdy was fun to see coming out of the last game. I think he's also he's got it's one of those bizarre like it sounds impressive, then you're actually oh this can only have happened so many times thing. He's the first ever quarterback to beat Tom Brady on their first start. Let's see if he can continue that. The problem is he's a bit banged up in this question marks over whether or not he'll be there. San Francisco also could be without Debo. As we mentioned, he's got the high ankle sprain. So there's going to be a couple of people missing. Maybe this gives Seattle a shot. It, you, you, you know well, I think, Ronan, that like the matches with, within this conference, within this division, are a little bit weird quite often. Gino's been up or down, but he had a good run earlier on. Are you feeling there's a route here for Seattle? Or is this San Francisco defense just too much to handle? Like, I think the San Francisco defense will be too much to handle. Like, I think Gino isn't the problem. I've said this, like, I feel like every week for the last month, but Gino's playing well. Like, even on a bad game of Carolina where he threw two interceptions, he came back, established control in the middle of the game and had a solid game overall. But he's having to do everything. The run game right now is non-existent. They might have Kenneth Walker back from this, but even in the games Kenneth Walker's played in recent games, he's been a non-factor. Teams have been able to shut him down. I don't know if it's an offensive line thing or a scheme thing or whatever, but things are not looking great on that side and the defense is just terrible like they can't defend the run for anything like the pass defense is not great but the run defense is awful so this just feels like a game where san francisco will get cmc and maybe mix in some jordan mason and just run it right down the throat of seattle like carolina did this week and just grind this down because they know their defense they don't need to score like 40 points if they score like 25 points uh, 30 points certainly then they'll win this game pretty handily but look seattle they they've had a hoodoo over san francisco so i give them a shot but based on everything we've seen over the last month Seattle feel like a team that's, you know, on the edge of, you know, like it was a nice run and it's all fun and stuff. And obviously they're growing towards the future, but San Francisco look like a team that's ready to win right now, even with Purdy out there. Like that, that's more than enough. And even if it's Josh Johnson, I would still probably favor them in this game, to be honest. Yeah, and we've gone for San Francisco across the board in that one. Next up, Ronan, Indianapolis are going to take on Minnesota. As much as we don't like Minnesota, like, you can't really back the Colts against them, can you? Indianapolis, the Jeff Saturday thing has kind of fizzled out pretty quickly. They're coming off a bye, so maybe they come back refreshed and ready to rock. And obviously they have Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman, so they're not completely bereft in terms of weapons. And the Minnesota defense has not been great at getting pressure, which has been the Achilles eagle of Indianapolis. So they have a route, but like ultimately Minnesota, yes. they've scored a lot of points they should be able to outscore Indianapolis and the defense against Matt Ryan might still be able to do something so the only X factor maybe is that this is a standalone game on the Saturday so I don't know if that's prime time enough for Kirk Cousins to go full meltdown on us yeah yeah we'll see (laughs) Baltimore Cleveland up next me and Sean have gone for Cleveland and Fitz has gone for Baltimore obviously look there's question marks over whether or not Baltimore will be on a third string quarterback or back to the starter being back in Watson has been looking a little bit better for Cleveland of late but really they're a ground and pound on uh, kind of offense so the question is can Baltimore's defense shut down Chubb and shut down that run game and force them into the air and force them into making mistakes I'm going to caveat my pick of Cleveland here that if Jackson's playing I'm going to swap it to, to Baltimore but if they don't have him and they also don't have their backup and they're down to third stringer I don't I, I don't think it's easy to win Cleveland I, I don't think it's easy to play in division and they, like these guys fucking hate each other and these AFC North ones are always rough going and I think Baltimore need a little bit of a spark on offense because they've looked stagnant the last couple of weeks and obviously look there's injuries and stuff but I can't trust Baltimore to go down to Cleveland and get it done unless Jackson is back 
yeah, like I think that's a fair assessment, but you know, that's probably a fair assessment of the win that they just got against Pittsburgh. They didn't have really any quarterback play, even with Huntley in there and then Anthony Brown comes in. But J.K. Dobbins came in, added an X factor in the run game, and I think that's been a huge missing element for them. And Gus Edwards is getting healthier, J.K. Dobbins is there. If they can just get a run game going, not even like an amazing run game, but just like a hundred yards plus run game, that will open up other things for the rest of this offense. Because we know Anthony Brown or Tyler Huntley or Lamar Jackson, they can all run with the ball, so it's a difficult game to defend. If, if you can run the ball and then that'll open up things for like Deshaun Jackson or whoever and Duvernay again perhaps and Mark Andrews who I don't know he's been playing hurt right now it's, it's definitely an issue there but the main reason I'm picking Baltimore is because the defense the defense has been playing lights out they just absolutely opportunistically like got rid of Trubisky Watson he was better last week but I still think he's a liability so unless Chubb finally has a comeback game he's been surprisingly quiet in recent weeks then this is this seemed the figures to be a grim low scoring game which could go either way so for me it's pretty much 50 50 but I'll give Baltimore the chance because they got a bit more quality yeah it's going to be an ugly ugly game I mean this is the part of the season where the AFC North teams just start to beat the living shit out of one another I think this game was like 10-9 last year or something I mean it's it's going to be bad and I mean the problem is I don't know if I trust this version of the Ravens to be non-brittle they're they're a team that just seems to not be up for the fight or they have moments where it all kind of collapses and I kind of get the sense that the Browns for all their flaws and the, they're obviously a team that is, is nowhere near as good as they were two years ago when they made that playoff run but they're they're an ugly team that's going to fight you it's hard to see the Ravens especially a week after having a very similar game against Steelers being up for the fight again and if they if they don't have Lamar in it's just going to be a grind it's going to be a, I, I wouldn't watch this game I, I do not no. recommend anyone watch this game <laughs> I just have a feeling that the Ravens are just not going to get going in this game and that the Browns are going to score like 14 points and that's going to be enough yeah it's just going to it's going to be a mess it's going to be a messy game next up is my pick of the week Miami at Buffalo Miami obviously reeling after their loss this week and Injuries to their weapons and question marks over whether or not Tua is really up to it. Buffalo coming off a, we'll say an underwhelming performance against the, but it was against the, the Jets defense, which is very good. They're going to want to make a big statement win here. The interesting thing for this is just the weather. I've been crying out for a weather game. The last time that we had a chance at a really, really cold weather game in Buffalo this season, they chickened out and they sent it down to Detroit instead. And I don't want the cowards at the NFL to do the same thing here. I want to see Buffalo take control of their home field advantage here and take the boys from Miami who are cold in in LA in December and put them into a like a lake effect snow weather game up top. I want to see what this Miami team looks like when they have to play in the cold. I want to see whether the guys can, you know, keep their hands warm and keep their roots crisp because they are a tack that goes through the air. They've got injuries to their starting running back. I think it'll be really exciting and a real challenge. And I think it will give us a proper look at what Miami could potentially do in the playoffs because this is challenging, difficult. You're going up to Buffalo. It's in division. You know that you need to be locking in these wins because it's starting to slip away from you a little bit. And I think that's huge. For Buffalo then, they're at home. They want to show that they're better than their last couple of performances. They're holding on to that top seed in the AFC at the moment. They know that they can't drop a game. This is exactly the kind of game that if we were a month ago, I think we would be thinking more and more about whether or not Miami are in this game we've gone for Buffalo across the board here this is the thing if Miami can think about what's what's been going wrong what's been off with the with, with the pass scheming or possibly it's just that they were looking past it at this type of game here and, and weren't focusing in on previous opponents correctly but if they can get back to where they were this could be an incredible game to watch and if not 
it will be an entertaining thing because neither of them have the world's greatest run games at the moment. So they're not built for the cold weather the way you would expect these teams to traditionally be able to do it. So like, I just think it's going to be entertaining. And I think these are two contenders in the AFC, one more so than the other. And if we get to see them in adverse conditions and see them have to grit up and see how they scheme it, I think it could make for really entertaining watching, particularly if you're a fan of another AFC team who might end up playing one of them and you kind of want to see what you might be coming up against. So I'm I'm, I'm very <laughs> intrigued for this one, to be honest. Just saying uh, the weather forecast, it's not like the six foot of snow they were looking at when they moved to Detroit. Now it's looking more like six, seven inches, which is a more reasonable boat travel yeah. and and in terms of actually playing the game. But like it'll have a wintry feel. Obviously there was a kind of wintry feel last week anyway. So for Miami it's almost like a revenge game for earlier in the season when they had the Miami Sun bakes the Buffalo Bills into submission. Now Miami yes. come up to be frozen in the uh, Orchard Park tundra. So a little bit of revenge there from the weather gods. But like look, yeah, I think you're right. Both these neither of these teams are really good snow game teams like it's kind of unfortunate for Buffalo because they it's play it's weird to me the Buffalo, Buffalo aren't better equipped to play in the yeah. weather that you know where they live yeah. now Buffalo's run game is kind of interesting in and of itself like there's been a slow transition to James Cook as the main running back it's still kind of 50-50-ish at the moment between him and Singletary but it hasn't been a major focus of them a major focus has really been Josh Allen running the ball a lot and while that's great and it works really well. I don't know how sustainable that is over the course of the, the rest of the season. Obviously the chance of injury increases every time he chooses to just jump into the air and like, you know, flip around and stuff like that. Although, you know, he, he made Dawson Knox flip even more so last week. I think overall Buffalo, they're healthy. They seem to be getting back into what we expected Buffalo to be. They're dealing with a few injuries, but they're gone for the season. But I think overall this solid unit is about as good as they were last year. And against Miami team where I don't think either of the offensive backers effectively back where Waddle and Hill are playing both with Knox at the moment uh, where the defence has never really been a huge factor this season it's been solid but not not good it's hard to see beyond Buffalo right now but hey if it's a snow game we can all enjoy the, the crack and maybe that'll even things out I think Miami after spending time in California and obviously being from Miami this might be a, a little bit of a culture shock a little touch might be an understatement Dallas at Jacksonville Sean, your Jacksonville Jaguars have looked a lot tastier the last week or two. Dallas are a big ask, are they? It's the Jag season. They win in odd-numbered weeks and they, they lose in even-numbered weeks. They were <laughs> Two weeks ago, they were horrible against the Lions and now they've just gone and beat the Titans that are only two games behind them in the division and everyone's like, oh, could the Jags steal the division? And it's like, no, they're not going to. It's... They're going, to, they're going to let us down once again. I mean, at, on their day, the Jags can beat most teams in the league, but their day doesn't come around very often is the problem. I mean, they look good enough offensively. Obviously, Lawrence is getting it together, and they're starting to look like they have some plans in, in terms of coaching and scheming and all that kind of stuff. But I don't feel that they're, they're, they're the finished article quite yet. I think I've, I've kind of moved on towards the Lions and the Jets as my as my underdog team to love this year because the Jags just not quite there yet. That said, the Cowboys are coming off a kind of a weird, bad performance. They haven't looked fantastic. They look really good and now that they've looked really bad again. I, I don't know. I kind of give them the benefit of the doubt that they'll get over this. This might be a tougher game for the Cowboys than they're expecting because the Jags will give them a fight. But uh, we got to give the Cowboys on the basis of their kind of week nine form the benefit of doubt. But if they have another stinker here, then the questions are going to have to be really asked because with Dak not looking fantastic, there's there's a brittleness there and you'd, you'd worry about them down the stretch if they're not pulling out the big performances against these kinds of teams. So we've gone for Dallas across the board there. Next up is your pick of the week, Sean. Detroit at the Jets. This is a must win for both sides if they want to try and keep their playoff hopes alive, right? This is a proper two teams that we kind of like like, and one of them has to lose. 
Yeah, I mean, basically, this is it. So the Jets are about a game out of the, the wild card, but the AFC wild card is, is just a it's a dogfight to the death. And you're not going to get in with anything less than 10 wins. And the Lions are about a, a game, game and a half behind, but they have a, 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 a not impossible schedule and they have all the momentum and such like. So definitely at the end of this game, one team will probably be eliminated from realistic playoff consideration and one team will be right there in the hunt. Uh, and my pick and indeed all of our picks is, is for Detroit. And I think that's a momentum thing. They, they've looked really, really good the last six weeks. They've had an offense that has been kicking ass all season, but now they've got the defensive bits fixed as well. And they look like a complete team that's exciting and fun and doing lots of interesting things. They've got great offensive dynamism. They've got some good kind of explosive defensive pieces. Jared Goff is not terrible anymore. It's looking very good in, in Detroit, whereas the Jets kind of, as I talked about in, in the review, kind of feels like they their season peaked about three or four weeks ago, and they've kind of been downhill since then. Obviously, their defense is still at a very high level. Salah's coaching them very good, and I'm really excited to see what's going to happen with this top-tier Detroit offense against this top-tier Jets defense and who's going to come out on top. But in reality, it's probably the other side of the ball is going to decide it. How will the Jets offense do? The Jets offense with all the problems that we talked about at the QB and the various issues in terms of injuries and such like compete with a, a Lions defense that, is, that has found itself. And I do think the fact that the Lions defense has stepped up is the difference here that's going to push the, the Lions to a win, get them to 7-7 and really get people excited about where they're going. I'm not quite positive on the Lions. Like I have picked them because I think they're in better form, but this Jets defense has been shutting people down, and we've kind of seen that even like in the good games Detroit have had in defense, they've generally been good and been opportunistic, but they have still managed to give up a lot of yards and and and, and a lot of points oftentimes. So you know this is a game that the Jets like if their defense can step up and take control, then I think they definitely have a shot here. And right now the signs are relatively positive that Mike White can play, and that would be huge. Philip, I feel for the Jets, even if he's playing a bit hurt, that's a guy who obviously he obviously yeah. knows he's 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 lucky to get the position in, so he's happy to just kind of gut it out. Detroit, they're the fun team. I think the team we're all like a little bit more, but I wouldn't cut the Jets out at all in this game. No, particularly if, if, if White is good to play, because I think there is a big difference between, like, I can't definitely can't trust him with Flacco, and I don't know whether or not the benching will make kind of very angry little Wilson play better, or whether he'll just you know, want to throw the toys out of the pram after it, so we'll see. I, I mean, can't... it sounds like they don't want to play him if they absolutely... They, they've got, like, a program in place where he's like, going back to fundamentals, quote-unquote. So okay. I think there's definitely some sort of process where they don't want to bring him back for another three or four weeks. It's Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where you break in case of emergencies and maybe this is the emergency. This could well be it. But yeah, as you said, there's, there's some notes from the coaching staff that Mike White is currently slated to play, but that obviously can move. Just I, rip the rib, out, rib out of him and just, just like play without it. That's why we've got spares, right? <laughs> Pittsburgh at Carolina up next. Me and Fitz have gone for Carolina. Sean's gone for Pittsburgh. It's, look, someone has to win the fucking NFC side and Carolina are only a game back now Pittsburgh are tipping away but they're you know almost certainly down their starting quarterback so it'll be Mitch Titties coming in Carolina are on Darnold's now so it'll be kind of almost certainly a run heavy kind of game that we'll see here I've got a side with Carolina here there's some good pieces on their team like the Pittsburgh defense is probably the single best unit on this but I think their offense is so bad and particularly if it's going to take a step down further again with Mitch Titties underneath it I, I'm going to side Carolina I expect their run game to get a lot of use in it I'd imagine this will be a quick game because I think there's going to be a lot of 
ground and pounding it. Probably not one that you really want to watch all that much unless you're attached to these teams. So yeah, Carolina to keep themselves relevant in the playoff race somehow with Sam Darnold is, is my pick anyway. I just flagged that this is the Mike Tomlin's 500 record on the line. The Steelers are 5-8 and eight. if they lose this game. He's finally going to have a losing season. So that's ah, why I'm right, picking so, him. I'm like, so this Tomlin, is, is, he doesn't... It could be a tie, yes. They, they could right. find a way to tie. I mean, it would be a very... Dealers Panthers thing to do to find a way to tie. Yeah, this is the they have to win out now, don't they? So, yeah, best of luck. To be honest, this is this is a game that they could definitely win. I'm, I don't have the Carolina Panthers a million miles ahead. I just think there's probably a little bit more to them. Next up, Ronan, we have Philadelphia. Fly Eagles fly. Flying straight into Chicago. Yeah, as fun as Chicago's been, do we think they can stop this offense? No. Their defense is terrible. Justin Fields, I think they're going to be a little bit more conservative with him down the stretch after picking up that injury. He'll still have a few nice rushes, but he, he might have a couple of explosive plays, but Philly are going to dominate Chicago here. There's just very few rights to victory. They're just a way better team on both sides of the ball. Next up, we have Atlanta at New Orleans. Uh, I've gone for Atlanta. You guys have gone for New Orleans. I'm, I'm not particularly high on either of these teams. I'm excited for seeing the new quarterback Ritter for, for Atlanta and see if that kind of does anything for them. This is a decent defense from New Orleans, but a very confusing offense, to be honest. It doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me. Atlanta don't make any sense to me either, like overall, but I'm hoping that maybe having a quarterback who's actually a quarterback rather than Marcus Mariota might do something for them. This is not a game I'm very interested in, quite honest. And I'm, I'm going to watch it just to see what, what the new quarterback looks like. It's a wibbly-wobbly, dummy, dumb game that's just very emblematic of the NFC South right now. I think the change to Ritter is a good one, regardless of how he plays, because yeah. you know we know Mariota is not the future there, but he does have a good test here. Like New Orleans' defense was kind of terrible a month ago, but they had so many injuries. I don't think that was really New Orleans' defense. They got a bunch of players back over the last few weeks. They started looking like the kind of impressive unit they have been over in recent years. So if Ritter can do well against this, that's a pretty reasonable sign that like, at least they got something here. As for New Orleans' offense, I think Andy Dalton's officially named as a starter though you know with the mixing of Taysom Hill I don't know how much that actually means but yeah. they could certainly doing with Alvin Kamara going certainly doing with a few more deep shots to Chris Olave so maybe over the bye they, they give Sean Payton a ring and see what he add up his sleeve and they can get something going but New Orleans like they're a more solid team overall in terms of talent level which is why I've picked them but yeah given how wibbly wobbly these teams are you could really just flip a coin and do just as well I think yeah see at the moment and we'll, we'll come to the Tampa Bay one in a second is uh with, with this specific set of results that we've got here I think that would then result in a three-way tie for top of the NFC South uh, if Carolina win and Atlanta win here. So that could be, uh, I think, fitting for that dog shit fucking division. <laughs> honest. Do you have anything on this one, Sean? No, I hate the NFC South. Next up, Kansas City at the Houston Texans. We've gone for the Chiefs across the board. You'd expect the Chiefs to be able to win this handily. Did you heard in the previous, in the dump-off though, you know, they could well be a spot where they go up an absolute ton and then just turn off entirely. I'm a little bit tired of the don't put anything on tape and letting these bad teams back into games. Look, in Andy we trust. There's also then the injury issues to to Houston at the moment of, you know, as we mentioned, Damian Pierce is off injured. They're currently doing the swippy swappy, let's play two different quarterbacks. Like, it's going to be a bit of a weird one. Totally the kind of game that the Chiefs could, could slip up in. We've had surprisingly tough games against bad Houston teams beforehand. But yeah, I'd say just they get take care of business after kind of a bit of a sloppy second half to their game against the Buffalo Bills. Next up then, Sean, I know you don't like talking about it, but we've got another NFC South team. Cincinnati heading down to the Tampa Bay to try and take on Tom Brady and the boys. We've gone for Cincinnati across the board in this one. The question is, look, can Brady get past what's been a 
fairly decent Cincinnati defense over the last couple of weeks in particular. Burrow has been looking well on the offensive side for, for Cincinnati. It's going to be hard to kind of look past them here. But, you know, this is the thing of if you want to start a late season run, now's about the right time to get going because they're only a game ahead of everyone else in their division. So they need to get the finger out, really. I don't think we really have any sense of the books at this point. We know that they're not as good as they have been for the past few years. We don't actually know how bad they are. We know Brady can turn up every once in a while and do magical things, but we suspect that he's not as good as he was. His receivers are dropping balls all over the place. This defense can shut down opponents when it wants to, but most of the time doesn't. The Bucs could very well go to run and win the whole thing, or they could crash and burn and not make the playoffs, despite the fact that some team with seven wins is going to end up winning the NFC South. So the Bucs are almost completely unpredictable in, in not a very good way, in that they're they're usually bad, but occasionally they're, they're, they're really good. The Bengals are much more reliable at the moment. They, they had a slow start to the season, but my God, they've looked really good. The last four or five weeks, they've really clicked into gear. They're kind of looking like a, a a championship team in the sense that they're getting good at, at the right moments to feel like the team is clicking together. Burrow's playing at a very high level, as I talked about last week. The comparisons to Brady and Joe Montana and stuff, not undeserved. He is a, he's a man to, to deliver under pressure. This could be a very interesting game in the sense of if it's like a two, who gets the two minute drill, who ends up with the ball at the end might decide it if, if it's a close game because both these quarterbacks can deliver. Yeah, the Bengals look really good. Their offense is clicking together. Their O line isn't as terrible as it was. They're finally, the, the new pieces are gelling together. Their defense, despite missing some key pieces, has stepped up in recent weeks and is delivering again. I'm excited about this Bengals team. I, I want to see them do well. And that kind of means they have to keep winning games because they're not guaranteed yeah. to be in the playoffs and if they win this and the Ravens lose then the division is theirs basically they're in control of their division which we'd all love to see so yeah we got to go for the Bengals on the heart and also because the Bucks you just just can't trust which Bucks will turn up the biggest thing for me with the Bucks right now is just how sloppy they are and that's not what you expect from a Tom Brady team so I suppose that means they have a chance if they can just sort their shit out but right now they just look kind of lost and like even though the entire NFC side is differently open they're not getting the kind of pressure from underneath that you think would be required to, to get some discipline just like Brady's having arguments with Mike Evans and the and, and Todd Bowles and everyone it's just it's just very off uh, like they're still probably favorites to win that division but probably not because they're going to beat the Bengals to be honest next up Sean we have good traveling to Vegas we've gone for New England across the board here much more on the strength of defense but also this is Bill Belichick revenge game question mark on Josh McDaniels <laughs> I, I, I don't know how did they leave things at the end because he did come back to him after you know after the first attempt to leave and then he's like no I'm actually back. leaving this time I think all people have a complicated relationship with Bill Belichick. I think that that's how it works. I don't think he really has any friends. I think there are people who respect him, but I don't know if he has any feelings because he never seems to show any. So anyway, he has a dog. <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that we're going New England across the board because I felt that my pick in New England was a bit of a bias for my team because the Raiders have looked kind of good in the last few weeks. They feels like they're clicking together a little bit on the offensive side. Jacobs obviously is on a good run. Devontae Adams is beginning to to live up to potential. Like so the, Ra- the Raiders just lost to the Rams. We're, they we're are scolding them. Dog shit. We're we're going bad Vegas, and that's been them all year. It's like bad Vegas. You're bad. Why? Yeah, and like you know, they just got your hopes up a little bit over the last few weeks, and it's like, and then they do that against the Rams. It's like bad. No picks for you. Bad Vegas. <laughs> yeah, but they should have won that game against the Rams. They just they just collapsed at the end. Yeah, well, that's, um, they just couldn't control the Baker Mayfield of it all. <laughs> It's just a force of nature, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think in this game, the, the really interesting thing for me is how 
Belichick's def- will set up his defense to get at Derek Carr because obviously he's Pat's defense is notoriously kind of scarily good against bad quarterbacks but doesn't seem to be able to turn up against good quarterbacks and the question about Derek Carr is is he a good quarterback or a bad quarterback so I guess this game will decide that uh, and I kind of feel that he's more a bad quarterback than he is a good quarterback obviously the New England problem is can they score enough points because they don't score touchdowns yeah I, I kind of feel it's going to be a grindy game and, and the Raiders may get pulled down to the Pats level and they can't win at that level so that's why I yeah. go with the Pats but I think it'll be close and I think it'll go either way really yeah I think as you said just Bill Belichick schemes up a defense to make this is a Vegas team that fucks up a lot and I think he's just going to ensure they fuck up next up is Ronan's pick of the week because he hates himself he's picked Tennessee at the Chargers <laughs> uh, we've gone for the Chargers across the board Ronan why do you want to watch the Tennessee Titans because this is a really relevant and interesting game because you know we have two teams here that have opposite characters but are going in very opposite directions counter those characters but like basically the Chargers are a classically blow every game type of team and they've certainly done some of that in recent weeks but they got that big win against Miami they get Mike Williams back they get they have Keenan Allen back healthy Austin Eckler's been good all season Herbert seems to be fully healthy again the whole thing seemed to sing mostly you know against that game that game against Miami despite the fact that they you know probably should have scored a lot more points but and even the defense looked okay so that's kind of surprising like that defense has been pretty terrible whereas in Tennessee we have a team that we always thought was solid and for most of this year they seem like to just be coasting their way into the playoffs but now Jacksonville only two games behind uh, Indianapolis was two and a half games behind but Tennessee are on a really bad skid and their defense has utterly collapsed in itself now that lot has to do with injuries I think they were missing like nine or eight of their starters last week maybe they'll have some of those guys uh, Jeffrey Simmons is, is kind of week to week but the, the defense you know with, with, uh, with, with the coach that they have you're kind of thinking oh Vrabel can sort something out maybe they can pull it together but no you can pass on this team basically at will and no matter what you do and on the offense Tannehill seems to be reverting to bad Tannehill from 2021 King Henry still getting his yards but suddenly had a couple of fumbles there against Jacksonville so it was a bit unusual there and so I think for Tennessee they always like you know you're always kind of waiting okay because you trust the coach okay they're going to turn this around and get solid again and and not let Jacksonville get too close to them because I think the last week is against Jacksonville so it could be exciting back then but Right now, the Chargers look exciting. Like they're like they're suddenly they're reinvigorated because they're getting guys back and they're getting healthy. And even Joey Bosa might be back in training this week. So for me, it's really interesting to see because the Chargers, any given Sunday, they are very much capable of blowing a lead, shitting shitting themselves, and and doing anything. Tennessee are are such a solid, well coached team that they can win even when they're playing badly. But the Chargers are better than expected. Tennessee are worse than expected. So let's see if the Chargers can close us down and kind of really solidify their place in the playoff hunt here and Tennessee I think it'll just be interesting to see can they pull something together get some kind of relative performance together because right now they truly are playing awful it's just a thing like I just I find them really really hard to watch like I just I find them boring I find them predictable I find them that they don't execute correctly I hate the quarterback play and I just yeah I just hate the Titans the Chargers yeah they're a bit more exciting I can see that and this is obviously very relevant but yeah I just if I can avoid it I avoid watching the Titans at every opportunity next up we have Arizona at Denver obviously Denver finally getting a couple of scores on the board and tail end of the second quarter and then into the second half against the Chiefs long may it continue so that the Russell Wilson touchdowns to toilets owned graph can finally reach singularity but Arizona do you think they're going to come in and mess them up Fitz? Look, obviously, both teams missing their starting quarterback, so this is going to be a pretty low-scoring game, you'd imagine. Both defenses have been solid enough, like Denver have a good defense, Arizona have a okay-ish defense. 
But on the other hand, you have DeAndre Hopkins and Marquise Brown and James Conner available to Cole McCoy. And Cole McCoy has actually shown some okay play over the last couple of years when he's been brought in in spot duty, whereas Brett Ripien has literally done nothing. So unless, you know, Jerry Judy continues to have a really good game, I, I just don't see how Denver can put together enough points to win any game, which has pretty much been their problem since the beginning of the year. Next up is a game that we would have been much more excited about a couple of weeks back, but the kind of the air has gone out of them. The Giants are going up would to Washington. We? I want to go on record. I would never have been excited about this game. Did you no like that? People like the Giants in like up to like week seven or eight, right? Like they were kind of doing well. Danny Dimes coming on well. Saquon doing good stuff. And like you remember, like the you know even even the New York media were happy with the coaching for a change. And now it's just like oh, watches the balloon slowly deflates and then floats away. Whereas Washington are on the up now and 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 look a bit fun. So we've got Washington across the board in this. Yeah, I'm kind of sneaky enjoying the Washington team with Heineke under center. They're having a bit more fun with it. You're actually getting usage out of all of the wide receivers. Why? Why they ever bothered with the Wentz stuff is beyond me. The Giants still kind of make me sad because it is just kind of like watching someone pick over reheated leftovers that were a couple of days old at this point. Like it's, it's just not working and it's not going anywhere, which is a pity because it did feel like they had kind of figured something out earlier on the season, but now it's gone. Yeah, it's amazing that both these teams are playoff relevant, very playoff relevant. This is a very important game because neither of these teams are particularly good, I don't think. I mean, Washington are fun and certainly they're getting it together. Their defense is quite solid and obviously their offense is flawed, but but interesting. And I agree with you, Heineke does make the, them more watchable, but I wouldn't necessarily call them playoff caliber. Whereas the Giants, I think, were being carried by their coaching for quite a long time. They came in with game... They had a very clear game plan and seemed to work up to about week 9 or 10. And then since then, they've kind of been on the downslope. And it's hard to see how the Giants are going to get that momentum back because they don't necessarily have the superstars that you kind of need in those situations to turn things around. So in terms of the momentum, you got to give it to Washington. And I do also think they're probably the better team and also the team you, you want to watch in the playoffs. Plus, I mean... No matter what happens here, the Detroit Lions win, so that's, that's all important because one of these teams is going to have to take a loss or they might have another tie, which would be a bit ridiculous. you got to pick Washington because it's a better team. You know, as Sean says, they, they actually have some things that are mildly interesting, whereas the Giants, you know, I know the, the beginning of the season was okay, but in the last month or so, they've barely been watchable outside of a couple of brief sparks. And finally, the Rams are travelling over to Green Bay to try and take them on there. So we've gone, myself and Fitz have gone for Green Bay and Sean's gone for the Rams. It's to note at the moment, Sean is ahead in the pick, so maybe we should be siding with Sean a bit more after <laughs> these ones. John, actually, do you know what? Why don't you tell us why you've gone for the Rams? Well, yeah, this is the thing. I mean, I'm just too attached to this Rams team. I, I kind of find it hard to let go, even though they're really terrible now. And I just I just don't like the Packers as a team. I think they've got some serious problems. Obviously, the offense offensive problems is quite well established. And the whole Rodgers disaster and the, the wide receivers and sometimes being good, but mostly being bad. And their defense not quite looking like they should on paper. I mean, the Packers are just a disappointment all around. Whereas the Rams, I kind of feel maybe they've gone through the underworld and are now, you know, exiting. They've, they've gone through their moments of pain. They've they've lost Cup and they've lost Stafford and their season has fallen apart and they've given up on, the, on their retaining their championship. And now it's kind of, you know, have some fun with Baker Mayfield. I'm actually kind of interested to see how Sean McVay does with Baker Mayfield because Sean McVay is the guy who made Jared Goff look really good for a while and it's only now like four or five years later that he's starting to find himself again with baker it's gonna be interesting to see if mcveigh can weave a little bit of magic and turn him into the quarterback that 
we all kind of suspect is in there somewhere, but hasn't hasn't come out. I feel there's more potential upside to the Rams. They're a more exciting team to watch when they're playing well, whereas the Packers are just just write the season off and move on. I think at this point. I imagine Green Bay will still be up for it. There's questions over whether or not, you know, they'll bench Rodgers and start trying out and seeing what they've got in love and everything. But yeah, like my, my problem is just, I can see, I can see a short bounce for it. I don't, I think Baker is not great. I think he's a backup level quarterback. I think Rodgers is still maybe up in the air about what he's going to do next year, whether it's retire, whether it's go somewhere. And I think he needs to start stringing a few bits together for that. If he wants to have kind of all the available options, he would like open to him. So he needs to start showing a little bit more. So yeah, I just go on green Bay, but to be honest, I, it's not a game I'm massively interested in watching. Yeah. My, my only main thought on this is that'll be great next year when they can actually start flexing Monday night football. <laughs> that would be, uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. They um, probably thought this game was going to be really good when they booked it. Well, yeah, but that's what the flex is for, right? That's going to be awful difficult for the for ticket holders though isn't it because like if you if you can have a game flexed out say you know say for, for example if we were traveling over to the game and we like booked time off work or whatever and then all of a sudden you're like oh yeah that's not on monday anymore i'm just gonna move that it's uh it makes it a little bit more difficult these kind of well, games should have played better then it's a huge problem apparently with spanish soccer that they move the games at the last minute from like fridays to mondays and stuff and people who travel over find it a nightmare so yeah welcome welcome to international Sports travel problems, NFL. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week. Any plans for the weekend, lads? Small matter of the World Cup final, I suppose. Apart from that, I don't know. Uh, Obviously, I'll be watching that myself as well. But before that, I have my uh, work Christmas party on Friday. So we're doing an escape room beforehand. Oh, Uh, So that'll be interesting. Uh, It's got some kind of really... It's got a theme around some kind of media property. I can't remember what it is, but I haven't watched it. So Maybe uh, it's Escape the Room, the Tommy Wiseau. Uh, I don't think it's. I don't think it's anything that interesting. I think it's like <laughs> Harry Potter something kind of. It's like a mix of multiple. Anyway, it's at least a meal or whatever will be good afterwards. So, yeah. yeah, like looking forward to that, and then heading back to Cavan after that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not massively dissimilar. I've got Christmas party on Friday for the team, and then yeah, kind of probably chill out weekend. I'm I'm finishing up for the for the holidays then as well, so kind of chill out in Dublin for a little bit. I think we've got tickets to Mick Flannery, but no other than that, kind of chilling out, getting into the festive mood, and and, and preparing to go down and visit family and friends over the, over the over the break. So should be good fun. I suppose that'll wrap us up for this week. So it's bye for myself, bye from Ronan, bye, bye from Sean, bye. This is an awful Thanks for listening. Thank you.